Welcome to Ojibwe Stories Gaganuni Didao, hosted by Eric Reddix. Our guest today is Dennis Jones, Pebabanines, who recently retired from years as an Ojibwe language instructor at the University of Minnesota. He is a band member of Nagayun Simunikaning First Nation, located in the Treaty 3 territory in northwestern Ontario. We talk with him today about the Ojibwe language, naming ceremonies, offering tobacco, and more. Here's your host, Eric Reddix. We're here with Dennis Jones today, a recently retired University of Minnesota Twin Cities faculty in language. And we're really happy to have Dennis here. We've been wanting to get him in here for a few months, and it's good we finally got him. Me, great, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm going to I guess the first question I'll ask is about your being recently retired in all your years teaching down in Twin Cities. How do you feel about Ojibwe language where it's at today? Uh, I think I'll answer that one in English. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe interject some Ojibwe. When I started at the university, that was an ideal job. I always wanted one where I could just work on language. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Keller Pab showed up in my office and he offered to be a teaching assistant. And I didn't know what that was. I said, so what does a teaching assistant do? And he said, well, mark papers, take class attendance, do your photocopying, basically keep a class in order. And then I said, so what do I do? And he said, you teach. So I said, you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the first time ever in my teaching career that I had a teaching assistant. So I worked that into the curriculum. And what we did was for the first two years, we would teach our students Ojibwe. And then they would come back as teaching assistants. So we would team teach. Mm -hmm. So first I taught them Ojibwe, and then I would teach them how to teach Ojibwe. Those students are the ones that went on to go do right. uh, language immersion camps, and like Keller Pap, for example, and Lisa Larange, the both mm-hmm. of them are uh, now running the immersion school Waduka Daring. And so I've had a lot of success stories like that in Minneapolis. A lot of my students that are teaching language in the Twin Cities area have all gone through this process. Yeah, they learn the language, then we, I teach them how to teach it, and then go out and develop their own careers. Kind of proud of that. People uh, tell me that uh, I helped kickstart the language movement in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I feel really good. I feel good in retiring because now all of my students are doing the work that I taught them how to do it. Very cool. One of the things you're doing uh, since your retirement, I've heard through the grapevine, meaning your twin brother Dan, who's been our guest, is naming ceremonies. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and also a little bit about what kind of drew you to doing that now and that whole process. That's a good question. Yeah. So when I retired, I reflected back on my teaching career, and I remember Tubisanaquit, 
that came into my life early in my teaching career. And you know the old adage that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? Mm -hmm. Well, he appeared early in my teaching career, and he taught me how to add spirituality to the curriculum. And he basically taught me language, culture, history by mentoring me and tutoring me, and then I, in turn, turned it into curriculum. And one of the gifts that he taught me how to do was how to seek Indian names. That's the name of that gift. And what I notice when people receive an Indian name, they ask, Oh, what was my colors again? Or, you know, I forgot that dream you had. What was the spirit that I was named after? And mostly everybody forgets about that. And that's back in the day, that used to be the most important thing in a person's life. And today we just kind of treat it secondhand. So what I do, because I'm newly retired and I got the time to do this, I write up every Indian name that I give. I'm so fascinated by how the spirit works. So I know that it's not me that's doing it. I know it's the little boy water drum and the pipe. They work together. And I know it's the spiritual forces at work that's doing it. And so after I give a name, I go to my laptop and I record, I write about the insights that I gained about giving that Indian name. So now I have a record of every person's Indian name and the dream and the vision and the spiritual things that happened that came with the name. Mm -hmm. So now anybody that's called my Wei'e, I have a record of that for them. And right now, today, I, I gave uh, name number 90. I traveled up the North Shore and I traveled to Thunder Bay. The morning of, I brought her outside and the cloud was really red. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know this, but I was actually showing her her name. And in the naming ceremony, it came out as uh, Miss Kwana Koduk. Uh, huh. uh, and then the next day, she said she sat up on a hill. I told her, pay attention, you know, to the way the clouds change color at the sunrise and at sunset. And that's how you will know your name. And so she went out the next morning and she saw it happening and it made her cry. So when people receive an Indian name, it connects them to the spiritual powers of creation. Right. And that's what I relay to people. So I tell people, study everything and become part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's amazing to me. And so our names then, they kind of relate to specific things we see. Yeah, the origin of names is even really interesting because names can come from anywhere. I'm starting to believe that we are surrounded by the spiritual every day. So the cloud formation could be a name, thunder beings could be a name, an insect walking by could be a name, the way the water moves on the lake could be a name. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot of sources for Indian names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ee <laughs> New gun at the shah and like Nagatuan, Camini Goan. 
Magijan Gutting, Animikika. Oh, and they go Benesiak be Jawag in the name them. E Jaw no Benes mine is in the cousin, Magija Jaw no Benesik, Minoa Wabinobenes, Wabinobenesik. Me, me in me anyway in Nij, Anishinabe when he calls on an. Me tashe way. Me and Anagato in the man, and Nagato in Danga Kinegago Gajisig. Me a man don't do the nan, Anishinabe wins win. Me no, me go a man, me no, Anakwadung. Me na me takamek, ni be kang, Kishpinigo bimiseta awa manitush, Benesi magija no dagoze. Oh, no, Kakinagago, they are not Nagato and Dan, he wabbed Dan Gaye. Me a ma, Kikindamana, an Indashwenji, an in Asian Kazatwa, or Asian Kazatanga, Gabion Denang, and Shnabe Winswin. This is Ojibwe Stories, Gaganunida, a program of Ojibwe culture. Our guest today is Dennis Jones, who recently retired from years as an Ojibwe language instructor at the University of Minnesota. He's the author of Daga Anishinaabe Moda, Let's Speak Ojibwe, an Ojibwe word list and phrase book, illustrated by Aza Edric. You mentioned it a little bit, but you could maybe expand on that. Like, why do we need names? The work that you're doing is important, and why do you feel it is, especially at this moment? I retired early, intentionally, to do the work that Tabasanakot had taught me to do. Mm-hmm. When we die, you know, we're going to come in a crossroads in the afterlife, and we are going to be asked... What is our Indian name? And if we don't know what our Indian name is, there's two paths up there, one that's covered in uh, moccasin tracks and another one that's covered in shoe tracks. There's two roads. And if you don't know your Indian name, you won't be going to where you should be going. Hmm. It's like your spiritual identity. So that's in the afterlife. In this life, we need our Indian names because Indian names have the power to heal. In my intro at the beginning, I said that I have four Indian names. And I didn't get my Indian name, my first one, until I was about 25. Because I suffered uh, childhood trauma in the residential school, um, those names, they helped stand me up and help me do spiritual work in my life. So today, Indian names have the power to heal. We experience so much trauma in our lives. We're so lost. Mm. Like we don't value our traditions. We don't value getting up first thing in the morning, going to bed at night, just the natural cycle of life. So when we receive an Indian name, it connects us to the spiritual way of living. And then once you make that connection, then you have the responsibility to live a certain way. And when you have an Indian name, then you have to pursue the spiritual occupations of hunting, fishing, trapping, gathering, and you got to follow a Anishinaabe way of life. It's the equivalent to receiving a like a, a godparent or a god name. You're, you're pledging to live a certain way of life. So when you receive an Indian name, it's healing, it's empowering, and then it connects you to your language and culture. Early on in my teaching career, my teacher told me, teach them about Indian names, teach them about clans, teach them about where they're from spiritually. That's the Ojibwe protocol. Name clan and community that you're from. It's really empowering when a student can get up and talk about themselves in the language and, and identify those spiritual aspects of themselves. Nashke, ki, do, 
So of the people you've named, is it mostly adults or is it parents or who out there is kind of getting an Anishinaabe name? You know, I've been thinking about that myself and I've been thinking about do I have a criteria as to who should get an Indian name and who shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And to uh, I always think about his teachings. He never really had any uh, taboos. He didn't have any fear teachings. And mm-hmm. he said that uh, spirituality is for everybody. It's for humanity. I kind of believe that too. I'm actually just starting to believe that uh, the world needs to pursue a spiritual way of living. And if Indian names can help them connect to the spiritual way of life, then, you know, who am I to say that they can or can't have it? And besides, you know, I'm not the one that's deciding all of this. It's the little boy water drum, it's the pipe, and it's Mm. the powers that be. And so whenever people ask me for a name, I tell them, uh, well, let's see, you know, give me some tobacco, let's see what happens. Mm. And uh, I just work as a conduit. So whoever receives a name, you know, some people, they receive a really powerful name. And then they treat it so trivially, you know. And then there are some people that really treat their name like it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in their life. And they have a great big feast and they invite everybody. Yeah. I'm gifted to have a little boy water drum that will uh, correct everything that's in the naming process. Hmm. And there's a song that we sing at the end. And my father is the one that left me that song. And we use that song. And what it does is it corrects everything in the universe. All the spirits I were moved around causing the ceremony, they were all put back into order. And if a song can do that, then that's a really powerful song. Hmm. 
I'm wondering too then along those lines is ideally maybe young people out there listening that when they have children that should be one of their things they think about is getting their children named. You know, young parents today, there are some that are very studious. It's really important to them that they raise their children this way. Those are the ones that you see following the power trail. Those are the ones you see going to sweat lodges, and it's a way of life for them. You don't even have to tell them that that's the way they should live because they're already living it. This is Ojibwe Stories, Gaganunidida, a program of Ojibwe culture. Our guest today is Dennis Jones, who recently retired from years as an Ojibwe language instructor at the University of Minnesota. He's the author of Daga Anishinaabe Moda, Let's Speak Ojibwe, an Ojibwe word list and phrasebook, illustrated by Aza Edric. I, uh, I used tobacco a little bit earlier today, and I offered tobacco for everything that's going to happen today. Weba gigijebgi onishkayan, asema ndakona. Itasha jiba bagitnaman asema, nigan ejinja man seman. Kakina gego ejitchigayan o omano gumjigikikenda within the same Kishpunigo waba maga atsokanag, asema ndimina gaye. So early in the morning when I have tobacco in my hand, what I do is uh, I send it forward and I say, for everything that I may be speaking about today that may require tobacco, I'm sending this tobacco forward. Mm. And so when you're asking me these questions, that tobacco was the first question I had in my mind. And then I said, if he doesn't have for it, then I already had a backup plan. I already uh, took care of it this morning. And Tabasanakot, uh, you know, he gave me lots of teachings. He also told me that um, whenever you find yourself without tobacco, there's a song you can sing. And so I sang a song whenever I'm out in the woods and I don't have any tobacco. Hmm. Yeah, let me do the first lead for you, and maybe you and others can pick up the song. Okay. The reason why Tabasanakot taught me these things is he always told me, you know, you're going to pass it on to other people. And I can't think of a better medium than uh-huh. radio. Those of you that ever find yourself without tobacco, you can use this tobacco song. If you're going to use this song, 
you should always acknowledge where it comes from. So acknowledge that it came from Tabasanaquat and then it came from his teachers. And there's a really cool teaching about that. Well, my father actually was one that said this. My older brother Don told me this. Whenever you acknowledge all the people where you got your information from, where you got your knowledge from, a portal opens up. And within that portal, all the people that have ever sung that song are going to come forward and they're going to help you with whatever the ceremony that you're doing. So I'm going to sing it through once, but uh, when you guys use it out there in Radio Land, you got to sing it through four times through. Okay, so I'm going to just sing it through once. Here it is. And get kino maga out to basana kat. Asema na gamun oge jinikatan. Uh-huh. Way, yai, way. Yahweh, 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 and when he taught me that song, he said the first three, he said it's Bindigin, you're calling them to come in. The fourth time through in the fourth stanza, he says Bindigay which means they actually are going through the process of coming in. In the sweat lodge, you know, we can actually see them in terms of lights when they come in. He also talked about the history of songs, that you should know the history of songs. And so the song is also about the four religions that preceded the Medewin. So he talked about the Wabinowin, the Shawanoga, the Ogemawin, and then in the north, the Medewin. That's what this song is also about. You know, you're mentioning at the top of the show about the important things we're supposed to talk about when we introduce ourselves as Anishinaabe people, our name and the importance of that, but also our clan. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that and why that's important. So Anishinaabe name is a, is a spirit name. So when you enter ceremony, you're actually announcing your name and you're announcing to the spirits who you are. So they will recognize you and they will know who you are. Every Indian name is somebody's spiritual experience. These spiritual experiences get translated into spirit helpers. These spirit helpers then, they accompany you wherever you go. So other spirit helpers, they will recognize you and they will know you. So when you use your Indian name in ceremony, the spirits will know how to work with you. And they will know how to, how to doctor you and they will know how to help you along on your spiritual journey. So, when you use your Indian name that way, you're opening yourself up for the powers that be to heal you, to help you. Now, with the clan, you have another spirit helper. When we do a naming ceremony, we sing a song that is uh, relevant to the name and then also to the clan. And what the song does is it, it puts the, the spirit of the name and the spirit of the clan in the individual. Now, this part of the knowledge I received when I was out fasting and I was so amazed with the song, I was so amazed by it happening, that I kept singing it for about 45 minutes, the name-giving song. Hmm. And so I can attest to the, the healing powers of uh, naming, of having a name in a clan. 
So what Sanakot always taught me, teach about things that you want to learn. Because if you want to know something, try teach it. So I researched the clan system. And Eddie Benton has uh, seven original versions of the clan. I use that book a lot in my class. William Warren had another version of five original clans. And then uh, people just started telling me, like, the Big Dipper has seven stars, and those are the seven original clans, and they came down from up in the sky. And then uh, I started cataloging. I came up with 29 different clans, and each one of these clans all belonged to one of the seven original or one of the five original mm -hmm. clans. So they're all sub-clans. Mm -hmm. And all the clans, they all have a responsibility. When I give Indian names, I find that the most common clan is Bear Clan. And I tell people, you know, as a bear clan, you are an herbalist and you are to go out into creation and you are to help your people by being an herbalist. And so the other responsibility you have is to be a police for the people. That's an example of uh, the responsibility for each clan. I used to lecture for about an hour on that topic. <laughs> so there's a lot of information there in the clan system. What's the role of fasting for you as you've given names, as you've developed uh, this uh, gift of naming? New gun here at in the ya. It does Baba in Baba in Ab Mizue. Migo marsh for me. Getting it to be cut the nig in the Wabamaga Anangog or marsh for me. It does a new goat day, Gishik, Miga get it out of a son of cut. It does and then Nanda Wabanang and Uh, Mia Bajik wins a win, Gimina Awea, Neno Kasi, Jenny Kazo. Mia Man count in the man, Gago get kin the man, me go or pee, mini goes at the Shinabe. When I go fasting, I try to fast every spring, every fall. Those are the changing times of the year. So when I'm out fasting, I look at the stars. And then I think about the teachings that the Basanaka taught me, that there are four levels of the sky. There's also Bagune Gijigong, there's a hole in the day. One time I asked him, I said, where is this hole in the day that you keep talking about? And he threw his arms up and he said, just look up, it's right there. 
So that's where hole in the day is. The other thing during the day is the, the water, you know, glistens on top of the water. And the thing I was talking about in Ojibwe is that that's how you will know that the Creator loves you. The Creator said you will know that you are being loved by seeing the flicker of the water on top of the water. And my wife just happens to have that very name, Wawa Segami. And it's a teaching that the Creator will always love you. So when I'm out fasting, I don't feel so alone because I'm, re I'm remembering that the Creator will always love me and I'm feeling the warmth of the sun. So things happen when I'm out fasting all the time. At the time that it's happening, I, I don't think much of it. But when I reflect back on it, then I realized, you know, something just happened. Something spiritual happened. For example, there was a hummingbird that came to visit me. And my twin brother and I, you know, we're supposed to fast together, so we're fasting together. Hmm. And he gave me tobacco. He said, you know, somebody asked me for a name. And so I spoke for the tobacco, and then he said, a hummingbird came behind my head, and he stayed there for the duration of the time that I was praying with that tobacco. So that's the name that we gave, was Nain Kasi. That's all the time we have today. Our thanks to our guest, Dennis Jones, Pebabemines, for sharing his stories with us. This has been Ojibwe Stories, hosted by Eric Reddix. To listen again to past episodes of the program online, visit the programs page at kumd.org and click on Ojibwe Stories. Funding for Ojibwe Stories Gaganunida is provided in part by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council and by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Ojibwe Stories Gaganunida is produced by KUMD and the Tribal Sovereignty Institute at the University of Minnesota Duluth, home of the American Indian Studies Department, which now offers an undergraduate minor in Ojibwe language. More information at d.umn.edu. 